Well, they tried to make a rally in the fourth quarter. It was too little too late, and the Seahawks continued their free fall with a fourth loss in five games, a 21-13 devastating defeat to the 49ers as they let the NFC West slip out of their hands. What went wrong in their third straight home loss? I'm going to be breaking it all down on our weekly postcast of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Glad to have you listening in for our weekly postcast. And as always, a special thanks to all the 12s out there who make Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. Unfortunately, the Seahawks were not able to right the ship last night, losing their third consecutive game at Lumen Field. That's only happened twice in the Pete Carroll era. It happened last year and this year. So it's a trend that recently has been happening, showing you just how much the once vaunted home field advantage at Lumen Field has dissipated over the last couple of years. And they've now lost four of their past five games. They're at 500 at seven and seven. Their playoff chances sinking below 50%. This team can still make the playoffs, but the road to get there, they're going to be, they're going to have to be near flawless here. They've got the Chiefs on the road coming up, so it's not going to get any easier. This was a game that it felt like they absolutely had to have. And yet at the same time, you can tell which team was the superior football team in this one. And so the Seahawks were not able to limit their mistakes enough to have a chance to win this game. And I think that's the big talking point coming out of this contest. When you are the underdog, which this, the Seahawks undoubtedly were the underdog going into this football game against a 9-4 49ers squad that was red hot and had won six games in a row. Number one defense in the NFL against the pass, against the run. It is a dominant unit makes it very difficult for a team like the Seahawks that hasn't been playing well for the better part of a month to be able to get the job done. You can't make killer turnovers. You can't make critical mistakes with coverage breakdowns. And unfortunately, the Seahawks made both of those on Thursday night and ended up dooming them in an eight-point loss. And I think that's really the tale of the game. I thought there was one sequence of events that really defined this game. And with all the plays that are ran in a football game in the NFL, you typically can't point out one play as being a deciding play, but there was a play last night that really did alter the way that this game unfolded in the second half, at least in my opinion. It just felt like it took the wind out of the Seahawks' sails, and it happened late in the first half. The Seahawks are down 7-3, to three, and they just forced – a punt by the 49ers. It could have been better. Quandre Diggs had a surefire interception bounce off of his chest. There's a chance he could have returned to that thing inside the red zone, maybe even back for a touchdown. But instead, the 49ers were able to punt the football. But still, it was a stop. The Seahawks got the football. They had all three of their timeouts. And it looked like they had a prime opportunity to cut this game to 7-6 to six or even take the lead after having a pretty solid offensive drive the previous possession, finally finding a rhythm after struggling starting the game. And then Travis Homer coughs up the football. Geno Smith with an easy completion to him. Dre Greenlaw lays the wood and the football pops out. Javarius Ward recovers it, returns it back to the six-yard line. And suddenly the Seahawks are trying to defend 
their red zone against a vaunted 49ers rushing attack. They had no fighting chance there. McCaffrey punches it in from a yard out, and suddenly we've got a 14-3 to game. That was truly a 10-point swing, 14-point swing, if you're thinking the Seahawks could have gone down and scored a touchdown. And in a game where you're the underdog against one of the best teams in the NFL, you can't have a sequence of events like that and expect to win the football game. Again, it could have been 7-6 or even 10-7. to Seattle had some momentum on offense, whether you believe momentum is real or not. The tide had changed late in the second quarter. It felt like Seattle had righted the ship a little bit at that point and that they were ready to go. That fumble was a crushing turnover by Travis Homer, and it set the 49ers up with pristine field position inside the 10-yard line, didn't have to do much work to score. And that's the second straight game that the Seahawks gifted the opponent the football inside their own 20-yard line. And then they were able to capitalize with a touchdown. You can't do that against good teams in the NFL. You can't do that against average teams in the NFL and expect to win, let alone the 49ers. So that really was the game-changing sequence of plays. But there were also some defensive miscues that really set the Seahawks back in this game as well. And I'm just going to say this. I thought there were a lot of positives for the Seahawks on defense until Jordan Mason's 50-plus yard run in the final minute of this game. They held the 49ers as a team under four yards per carry, and that was without Al Woods and Brian Monet. Uh, best wishes to Monet and his recovery. Sounds like he's got a significant ACL injury that he exited with last night. Season's probably finished for big Brian Monet. But without those two in the middle, I thought for sure the 49ers are going to be able to run the ball all over the Seahawks the way that they have played defensively over the last month. And yet players like Miles Adams and Puna Ford, they stepped up. The linebackers, I felt like, played pretty solid football, especially late in the game when Tanner Muse checked in for Jordan Brooks. I just didn't think Jordan Brooks looked right. Maybe he was dealing with a neck issue and was playing through it until they decided to sit him out. Who knows what's going on there? But overall, they did a good job of bottling up McCaffrey away from a few big runs early in the game, and they were able to get a bunch of punts too. The defense, I thought, played much better last night. Unfortunately, though, again, your margin for error when you are the underdog and you are playing a superior football team is very thin. You can't make a bunch of defensive mistakes in terms of coverage breakdowns, missed tackles, things of that nature. And it happened to be something that snake bit the Seahawks last night. Two of the touchdowns, George Kittle scored. Kittle always seems to have big games against the Seahawks. But First one, I want to chalk up to Kyle Shanahan. Just a fantastic play call. Double screen, executed to perfection by Brock Purdy, and the Seahawks' defense was everywhere but in coverage on George Kittle running down the seam. Makes a perfect pass after a couple pump fakes to Kittle, and then he's able to get by Quandre Diggs and scores. And that was the that was the big play for the 49ers that set off the scoring. It made it 7-0 at that point. Really, though, aside from that, the Seahawks – played really good defense in the first half. And then after that sequence of events to close out the first half, just a minute into the third quarter, the 49ers took advantage of a major coverage breakdown. And from what I can tell, Tariq Woolen just didn't drop back into his deep third, didn't handle his coverage assignment to pick up Kittle, who came open down the left sideline. And then Quandre Diggs and Cody Barton ran over and I'm going to say attempted to tackle him. It was an ugly effort there by both those players at the end of that play as Kittle just bruised his way into the end zone. 
for a 54-yard touchdown. Suddenly, it's 21-3. to And at that point, it felt like an insurmountable lead. Even though the Seahawks made an effort in the fourth quarter, it felt like they were down 35 points at that point with those two miscues. You can't have those kind of mistakes when you're playing a really well-coached, really talented football team like the 49ers. You just can't afford to shoot yourself in the foot like that. And I think that's really been the tale of this second half for the Seahawks. I think they are beating themselves more than opponents are beating them. It's the missed assignments with run fits, blown coverages, turnovers. They're the only team in the NFL that has had at least one turnover in every single game this season. That is not a statistic that you want attached to your name. And unfortunately, the Seahawks have not been able to avoid those self-inflicted mistakes. And there were several other times last night where the 49ers had drives extended because of mistakes that were made by the Seahawks defensively. There were mistakes on the offensive side of the ball with penalties that set them back. DK Metcalf with some emotional penalties that Pete Carroll seemed fine with after the game, but you got to find a way to rein that in just a little bit because refs are clearly looking out at you. So this team's just got a lot of things going on right now where, where they're making it difficult on themselves to win football games. And maybe you can get away with that when you're playing weaker teams like they played earlier in the season. But when you're playing teams like the 49ers, you can't make those kind of mistakes. They are the te- they are the kind of team that are going to take advantage. They're going to capitalize on those opportunities, and that's what happened last night. That's the difference. Those handful of mistakes the Seahawks made, the 49ers fully capitalized on them, and that's why they won the game. I didn't think it was a dominant effort necessarily by San Francisco, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, that defense is legitimate. I thought the Seahawks would have more success than they did in this football game. The game plan wasn't great in my estimation, but – This defense just flies all over the field. They swarm. They force turnovers. They're really fun to watch. you got to give them kudos for that. But the Seahawks certainly didn't help themselves in this game. And now they find themselves at the 500 mark, 7-7, and losing ground on the Giants and the Commanders. The Lions are playing catch-up right now. The Seahawks do have the tiebreaker there. But certainly things are not looking good for their playoff chances. They can still get in, but they are going to have to be near flawless here down the stretch. And and hopefully they can get to nine or ten wins to give themselves a chance to do it. If not, the honest assessment right now, they don't look like a team that deserves to be in the playoffs anyway. Maybe it's just one of those cases where they overachieved for a few months and then they have fallen back to earth. But this team is dealing with a lot of self-inflicted wounds right now that are preventing them from being able to finish off games and, and beat quality football teams up next i'm going to get to my weekly game balls on offense defense and special teams like every week there were certainly some standouts for the seahawks even in defeat going to look at some of those highlights from thursday night football coming up next year on our weekly postcast today's episode is brought to you by tommy john don't make your loved ones face the dead of winter in old t-shirts ancient underwear and ratty sweats help them fight the cold with cozy give the gift of tommy john in Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Shop Tommy John's Wrap It Up sale right now and give the gift of comfort to everyone on your list, including yourself, with new Tommy John underwear, loungewear, and pajamas. With over 18 million pairs sold, giving Tommy John has become a holiday tradition. 97% of women and men love getting a gift from Tommy John. That's why wearing Tommy John doesn't just have customers. They have fanatics. I love wearing Tommy John because they're comfortable and they're not just stay-at-home apparel either. You should get Tommy John too. Every gift's backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or it's free guarantee. Hurry to Tommy John's wrap-it-up sale and get 30% off everything 
plus free shipping at tommyjohn.com slash locked on. Order now so your gifts arrive before the holidays. Again, that's 30% off plus free shipping at tommyjohn.com slash locked on. That's tommyjohn.com slash locked on. See the site for details. You're listening to the postcast edition of Locked On Seahawks doing the morning after this week, considering that my coverage of the Seahawks 49ers game did not wrap up until after 11 o'clock Pacific time last night, made the executive decision. Let's do this episode the morning after. So a little bit of a change up here with Thursday night football, but nonetheless, let's get to our game balls. And like every defeat, the Seahawks had some players that played really well in this football game. I thought there were a number of defensive players that played at a really high level last night. They kept the Seahawks in this game despite the struggles they had on offense for the first three quarters. But nonetheless, let's get to the offensive game ball first. And this is one that I had two players that I considered. I actually thought about doing co-players because there weren't necessarily any players that had outstanding nights on offense. When you score six total points in the first three quarters, it's hard to find positives. But there were some guys that had good games. And I want to give this one to a player coming back from injury, Ken Walker III. I thought he looked electric. He looked healthy. Early on in the game, I wonder if he was being a little hesitant with his ankle, and there certainly were not many run lanes for him to work with, but he had one of his better games in recent memory. At one point, was above four yards per carry, which has been a miracle for the Seahawks in the last month, but finished with 47 rushing yards, even though they couldn't get a lot of carries, didn't have enough long possessions early in the game, not able to get him the football a lot, but he also had 32 receiving yards, including a 33-yard catch that ended up fueling their only touchdown drive. Noah Fant catching the touchdown at the end of that drive to make it an eight-point game. I thought Walker looked pretty darn spry out there. He looked healthy, so that's good news for the Seahawks tonight where there wasn't a lot of positives. Got to see the rookie go out and get the job done. And I thought the Seahawks' running game was actually decent at times last night and the numbers might not indicate that they did finish with 70 yards which is a lot compared to what they had done the last couple of weeks it seemed like they were able to create a little bit of push at times there were inconsistencies though that have been really hurting this offense for the last five six games where they just can't get a rhythm going and get two three four consecutive runs that are positive there seems to be at least one or two negative plays littered in there, and it ends up ruining drives. And that's not on Ken Walker the third Last night, I thought he did the best he could with what was in front of him, made some nice runs late in the game, had a run where he bolted outside and showed off his athleticism, his burst, getting to the sideline, picking up 15 yards, easily his longest run of the game. And so I thought there were a lot of bright spots from Ken Walker the third in this game, even though the stats might not bear it out, didn't score a touchdown as I thought he was going to in this game. But – certainly played well given the circumstances and this is a 49ers defense that hadn't given up 70 rushing yards since way back in week seven and so seattle getting to 70 that's somewhat impressive given how dominant this 49ers front seven and honestly the defense as a whole has been this year holding down running backs on the defensive side of the football there's a number of players that i consider here I'll talk about a few of them when we get to the three up three down that were runners up for this award but i'm going to go with a player that in part is getting selected for this because he is playing through some painful injuries and he's still playing at a high level. And that would be Ryan Neal, who is continuing to put up nice numbers, five tackles and a pass breakup yesterday. Wasn't among their top three in tackles yesterday, but 
he made a really nice play on the first drive of the game to hit Christian McCaffrey after the catch and limit him to only a yard, force the 49ers to punt a three and out to open the game. You couldn't have asked for a better possession from Seattle's defense responding from how poor they played on Sunday against the Panthers to come out and get a three and out right off the bat. Ryan Neal played a big part of that. And in a game where George Kittle murdered the Seahawks with those two long touchdowns, Ryan Neal broke up a pass that looked like he was going to be completed. A corner route did a really nice job of recovering, getting his hands on the football and punching it out of Kittle's hands for an incompletion. So he played well in coverage. He was active against the run. And as Pete Carroll mentioned at the end of the game, I noticed this from the press box. You could see him wincing quite a bit in the fourth quarter. He was not feeling good out there. Again, this is a kid that's been dealing with a knee injury, shoulder injury, and an elbow injury the last couple of weeks. He is as banged up as anybody, but he keeps going out there, giving everything he's got. He's still playing well. And, you know, it'd be nice to see that rub off on some of his teammates a little bit. You like to see the energy step up a little bit for the Seahawks defensively. That was something that was very noticeable to me yesterday. The energy that the 49ers defense plays with. You just don't see that same vigor from the Seahawks defense. But Ryan Neal is one of those guys that's extremely passionate, and he plays fired-up football. And after the pass breakup, made sure to flex the crowd. You know what? You can back it up when you make plays like that. Ryan Neal continuing to have a standout season replacing Jamal Adams and one of the bright spots for a defense that continues to make too many mistakes in these critical games. And then on special teams, this has become a chronic thing. I, I actually considered Godwin Iguabuke again because he had two really nice kick returns again. I think the Seahawks may have found a solution in their return game in Iguabuke, but Jason Myers continues to be Mr. Automatic. Two for two for field goals, one for one for extra points. And big reason he's on here right now, he is not far off from approaching his record he set a couple years ago. He has now made 21 consecutive field goals. And I think this one has actually been a more impressive streak than the one that he had two years ago because he is now six for six on field goals of 50-plus yards. So not only has he been accurate splitting the uprights, but he's doing it from longer distances than when he did a couple of years ago. So I think this has been Jason Myers' best season, and it's fitting that it comes with him being in a contract year. I think he has now earned that contract. They're just going to have to figure out what can we do in 2023 because he has not been near as effective in odd years, and this has been going on his entire career. Can they find a way to continue that success in an odd year next season? But I think he has definitely earned a new contract. He has been Mr. Consistent this year on extra points, on field goals. He's been making long kicks at a 100% clip, 50-plus yards. So he's been as reliable as any kicker in the NFL. And I felt like the Seahawks last night on special teams were the better football team. But on offense and defense, obviously that wasn't the case, so they weren't able to win this game. But made a number of really nice plays on special teams, some really nice tackles on kick and punt coverage. Nice job by Jason Myers. Michael Dixon had a couple booming punts in this football game that put the 49ers deep in their own territory. So Seattle special teams was a strength yesterday. They did a nice job there. Wasn't enough to get the win, but the third phase of the game has been playing better as of late. And they're getting contributions from a number of different players that didn't necessarily get those opportunities early in the year, like Godwin Iguibuque. So really good season for Jason Myers. The special teams unit looking pretty good. Otherwise, it's been tough sledding here 
losing four out of five games. Going to get to our three up, three down, our studs and duds coming up next year on our weekly postcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Total Wine and More. This holiday season, find what you love at Total Wine and More. With so many great bottles to choose from, it's easy to find a new favorite single barrel bourbon or the perfect gifts for everyone on your list with some help from a friendly guide with all the confidence of knowing you found something special for the lowest price. Find what you love, love what you find only at Total Wine and more. They offer curbside pickup and delivery at most stores. Visit TotalWine.com to learn more. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly and, of course, be 21. You're listening to the weekly postcast of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Unfortunately, not getting to enjoy a victory Friday today. The Seahawks losing their fourth game in five tries, falling to the 500 mark. Hard to believe this team was 6-3 and three and sitting in first place in the NFC West in October. And now here they are. We're in December, and they're right at the 500 mark, really struggling on both sides of the football, making too many mistakes. I mentioned earlier in the show, they've had at least one turnover in every game. No other team in the NFL has done that. And defensively, they haven't forced a turnover for the last two games. So something that was helping offset their deficiencies on defense, they're not getting those breaks right now. And so it's making it difficult for the Seahawks to win football games. Nonetheless, let's get to our studs and duds, our three up, three down. There were plenty of players that had good games yesterday that helped the Seahawks make it interesting late. Let's get to our three up, the positives here. I want to start an offense with Noah Fant. Noah Fant was my second selection for player of the game. And those watching on YouTube, I wanted to have a better picture than the one where Dre Greenlaw almost intercepted Geno Smith on the opening drive of the game. Noah Fant was on the receiving end of that, but... Fant still had five catches, 32 yards, and he scored the only touchdown that the Seahawks had in this game. And I I guess I will say this, and I felt this way in the first matchup back in week two as well. I I just, I'm trying to figure out what Shane Waldron is doing against this 49ers defense because the run game seemed like it was pretty vanilla as far as how they were trying to attack the 49ers. And the tight ends were not featured early. Once you started to see Noah Fant and Will Disley get involved. Colby Parkinson was open and Geno Smith wasn't able to get the ball to him in the end zone. But this three-headed monster at tight end, you've got to take advantage of that, especially when you're playing against a pass rush like the 49ers. Use those tight ends in the short to intermediate passing game. And I just didn't see a conscious effort early to get that started on offense. And I think that really would have helped Seattle be able to sustain some drives, get some first downs, keep the ball out of the 49ers' hands, and maybe help a little bit with the time possession issues they've been dealing with. And we're just not seeing them do that consistently. And so early in the year, the tight ends were a major major focal point. It feels like recently that that's kind of gone to the wayside a little bit, and I'm not sure why that was the case, particularly in yesterday's game. But Noah Fant still had a pretty solid game with 32 receiving yards and the only touchdown that the Seahawks scored. And he's really quietly had a solid first season in Seattle, even if there's been times where it feels like Seattle hasn't necessarily got him involved in the passing game. When he's had his chances as of late, he's been pretty reliable. He's been able to create some yardage after the catch, and he's now got three touchdowns. So starting to make some plays, a rare bright spot on offense last night when they weren't able to get too much done on that side of the football. Going to the defensive side, let's give major props to Miles Adams, who 
Pete Carroll, and I told him he was 290 pounds. Pete Carroll told me off, said he's 300. He's gained some weight. Well, he is still undersized to be playing the nose tackle position. And I thought for sure when Brian Monet exited with an ACL injury in the first quarter last night, they already without Al Woods, who didn't play due to a heel injury. I thought for sure the 49ers were just going to get right to work running between the tackles and the Seahawks weren't going to be able to slow down San Francisco's run game. But Miles Adams was a key ingredient in holding the 49ers under four yards per carry up until that big run at the end of the game by Jordan Mason. He had a tackle for a loss, made a couple other nice plays along the line of scrimmage, and he also had a pass deflection near the end zone. And the 49ers did get a first down on that drive, but they punted shortly after that. Miles Adams was very active. He was getting off blocks, and I thought he held up quite well at the nose tackle position, despite the fact that he is not your prototypical nose. He's 40 pounds lighter than the other two defensive tackles that normally play that position for the Seahawks. And Puna Ford, I'll also give him a shout-out as well. Both those guys, Shelby Harris was talking about last night, those two guys are not used to playing the nose tackle position. Ford's played it some, but that was when they were in a 4-3 defense, and he was a little bit heavier than what he is now. So this was a big changeup for both those guys. That's not a natural position for them. They are penetrating three-tack defensive tackles, not nose tackles, and yet they handled that challenge last night. And in particular, Miles Adams made a couple impact plays in this game, his best game of the season by far, and it helped the Seahawks stay in this football game by being able to, to an extent, bottle up Christian McCaffrey. He still had a decent game, don't get me wrong, but – it didn't turn out to be near as bad as I think most people thought it was going to be given Seattle's struggles the last month defending the run. And Miles Adams and Puna Ford are a big part of that. Nice to see Adams have a really nice game when he's been a healthy scratch for a large chunk of this season. And going to linebacker, another player taking advantage of an opportunity presented to him. And this one, I think you also have to add the caveat that Tanner Muse was banged up early in this game. He limped off the field after a special teams play. I actually think it was a punt by the Seahawks, and he limped off the field. And so I wondered, is he going to be able to continue playing? Not only did he continue playing, he got his most extensive action on defense that we have seen with Jordan Brooks being out with a neck injury in the fourth quarter. And I'll have to go back and watch the All-22 film to really get a full assessment of how Muse played. But I saw him get off of a few blocks. I saw him make four tackles on the defensive side of the football. He was active, and the Seahawks were able to get stops in the fourth quarter with him out there on the field. And so I think he did well for himself there. It was a great opportunity for the converted safety to show how far he has come at the linebacker spot because that was a problem when he was with the Raiders. They moved into linebacker, and it was a struggle for him learning that new position. Last night, he showed a lot of growth out there on the field, though, with the instincts and being able to get downhill and make some plays. And I actually didn't notice that Jordan Brooks wasn't out there until about four plays into the first drive Muse is in the game because Muse went up and made a play. And I was like, wait, that's Tanner Muse. Why is he in the game? And he did a really nice job. Quandre Diggs complimented him after the game as well for his preparation. You can see that getting thrust into a very difficult situation. You know, Jordan Brooks is their play caller on the field. And so they had to have Cody Barton and Tanner Muse split up that responsibility to make sure everybody was lined up right. And they were able to get stops out there on the field until the very end when they gave up that big run. But Muse was on the other side of the line. Don't think that he had anything to do with that play getting busted for 50 plus yards. I thought he had a really nice game given the circumstances in his first extended action on defense. 
In defeat, there's going to be plenty of duds as well. Let's get to the three down, the players that will want to step their game up next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. And starting on offense, you don't want to pile on a player, but it has really been a struggle for Austin Blythe at the center position during this stretch where they have lost four games out of five. And I thought last night that continued. And I'm going to say this for Blythe. The pass protection has been fine all season. That has been an area where he has held up pretty well. There's been a few times that he's gotten bull rushed in the backfield, but generally his pass pro has been much better than his run blocking. But especially early in the game, the Seahawks were getting some movement with their guards, and it didn't matter most of the time because Blythe was getting beat in the run game. And you can't run the football when you have one player that is consistently getting beat. That's all it takes to ruin plays, especially in the middle of the offensive line. There were a few plays that he got bullied, driven off off the ball. There were a few times that he got beat by athleticism. Uh, one time got ripped by and the guy made a play in the backfield. So it, it has been a real struggle for Austin Blythe and the Seahawks have to figure out, you know, you're looking towards 2023 while also thinking we still got a chance to make the playoffs. You've got to figure out what is our long-term answer at the center position because Blythe has brought some good things to this offensive line. From a communication standpoint, I think he's played a big role in the performance of your two rookie tackles in Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross by being a sound communicator, knowing the scheme inside and out. That has been a big addition for Seattle. And again, I think his pass protection has been solid this season, but the run blocking is not where it needs to be. And at under 300 pounds, I just don't know that you're going to get much better out of him at this point in this stage of his career. I mean, he's almost 30 years old. It's not like this is a player in his second or third year that still has room to grow. He's probably the player he's going to be at this point, and he just doesn't have the size to move guys off the ball. And if he's not going to be winning with positioning and technique against athletic interior rushers, uh, it's going to be difficult for him to – make it as a full-time starter in the NFL. I think Seattle, with how they want to run the football, they're going to have to find a center that is able to get the job done in the run game and still excel in pass protection as well. And that's difficult, but this is a decent center class coming into the 2023 NFL draft. So maybe the Seahawks still view Blythe as a long-term solution, but the run blocking is a major concern, and it has been for quite some time. He's just having a hard time physically holding up at the point of attack and on defense jordan brooks i'm gonna say this first you know i hope jordan brooks next okay and it's a significant loss for the seahawks if he's not going to be able to play in the next game or two we don't know where that stands Pete carroll didn't have much of an update on him last night other than saying they decided to rest him because he had a sore neck we don't know where that stands but watching this game in real time there were a couple big runs early in the game where he got sucked in on blocks and was not able to get off of them and I think the first touchdown to George Kittle, based on what I've seen, again, I have not had access to the All-22. This is based on my notes watching the game. But it looked like that particular play that Brooks should have picked up George Kittle on that double screen, and he didn't. And so there were some coverage issues. There were those uh, opportunities to get off blocks that he wasn't able to do so. I thought the tackling was fine. No missed tackles on my sheet based on watching, but it was still not a great game for Jordan Brooks, who continues to lead all inside linebackers in Pro Bowl voting. You expect better performances from a player of his caliber. I just didn't think that he played very well last night. And again, Tanner Muse stepped in and did a really nice job in his place. So 
Uh, Brooks, you know, might have been playing with that neck injury for most of the game. Who knows? We don't know those details. He just didn't look quite right to me out there, and, and it was not one of his better games this season. And the same can be said in the secondary. And Quandre Diggs, there were some plays that he made. Obviously, the lost interception is the one that is going to be talked about because just as much as the Travis Homer fumble, that could have been a critical game-changing play in Seattle's favor. If he is able to pick that off, he did everything he needed to do. He baited the rookie quarterback, Brock Purdy, in the secondary. He undercut the route. He was in perfect position, and we've seen Quandre Diggs make plays like this time after time since Seattle traded for him, and it bounces off of his chest. And He was accountable after the game. He, he said, that's on me. i got to make that play. Yeah, he does. He absolutely has to. That was a huge missed opportunity for the Seahawks. And yes, they were able to get the football back on a punt, but the field position was totally different. They would have had the ball in 49ers territory, potentially in the red zone on that interception because he was running full steam ahead. He probably picks up significant yardage after making that play if he picks it off. And also the second George Kittle touchdown. Both of them were with Diggs in trail, but he had an opportunity to get Kittle to the ground on that second 54-yard touchdown and allayed that tackle opportunity. He was not able to get him to the ground. Cody Barton had the same issue, couldn't get into the ground. And so that was not a great tackling effort by either one of those guys. And Diggs continues to have a couple plays like this every game. Where it's like, man, you know, the Pro Bowl safety has got to make that play. One of your better defenders, one of your higher paid players has got to make that play. And so just leaving too many plays on the field for a player of his caliber right now, and I'm not sure why that's happening, uh, but just not making the plays that we've consistently seen him make. And it ended up costing the Seahawks last night. They're going to need number six these final three games to really elevate his play. And if he gets opportunities to get his hands on the football he needs to make those plays and finish them. Can't let interceptions bounce off your chest like that. Again, that was a critical play in a close loss for the Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. Coming up later today, we'll have a second offering. We don't have Monday musings. We're going to have some frustration Friday going on here on the Locked on Seahawks, taking a look at some in-depth takeaways coming out of this loss to the 49ers. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in 